on, guys. How are you? Welcome back to the Born and Made podcast. Today, I have an unbelievable guest on the show. We have such an incredible conversation. Rob Durdeck and I really chopped it up for close to two hours. And interestingly enough, I was in Los Angeles working on some stuff for Creatures of Habit, and I had Rob scheduled to be on the podcast. And I said, hey, man, do you have a studio that we could shoot in your camp? And he said, as a matter of fact, I've got an insane studio that we could shoot the Border Made podcast in. So I shot Border Made at Rob's studio, at his podcast studio, um, and we went on for a very long time. So because of that, we actually have chopped this episode into two parts. Today, you'll be listening to part one with my convo with Rob. Hold on tight. Buckle up. This thing is going to knock your socks off. So excited for you to listen. Rob, I am so fired up to have you on the Born and Made podcast. This is not traditional for me. I'm actually in your house right now. Um, Little background, I'm in LA. I got Rob scheduled to be on the podcast on Zoom because that's how we're doing it these days back in New York. I got caught up with some stuff here. I shot Rob a text and said, hey, man, can I pop by and can we do the podcast at your spot? And you're like, dude, I got a full-fledged ill studio ready to go. You sent me a picture immediately and I was like, done, that's it. So this is awesome. Um, Dude, you are a legend. Uh, as I'm doing my research on every guest, I, I try to walk in with, with, with a bunch of information. And when I was doing my research on you, like, I don't even know how to introduce you. You've done so much in a short slash long period of time. It's just, it's mind boggling, dude. You're, you're an insane entrepreneur. You're a pro athlete. You're a TV personality. You're a producer. You've made freaking movies TV shows, you've got a bunch of brands. I mean, is there anything you have not done yet? First of all, thank you for having me on your podcast in my studio. <laughs> you know what I mean? We got your logo up. Like, it, it's amazing. And I'm I'm just grateful that our experience, you know, because it went from like, hey, you should be on the podcast. And then me, uh, you DMing me. And I was like, man, I was just going to DM you. I wanted to share with you the way that I think. Then we're now we're talking at like six in the morning, strategy one morning. Then it's only right that instead of doing it over Zoom on a Friday, you make it all the way to L.A. and we get to do it in the studio. We also have a mutual friend who's been talking about connecting us for years. Yeah. And the fact that it happened this way is so ironic because our homie is right there. Yeah. And Rod Kurtz is is a really good friend and a connector. And and, and understand that Rod Kurtz also uh, was an early adopter of the Rob Deerdeck business brand. You know, when he worked at Inc. Magazine back in 2008, when I evolved out of Robin Big and did Fantasy Factory and kind of made my first push of like a business guy, he was one of the first people uh, to sort of recognize that and write about that in Inc. Magazine. So then Thank you, Rod, for <laughs> for recognizing me as a businessman early on. But again, back to this uh, beautiful intro. Thank you so much. Uh, it really is an unusual path that I have taken. You know that that's one of those where, man, an opportunity presents itself. Let's take a shot at this, and it keeps pulling me into these these worlds that I would have never expected. The only true beginning was at 11 years old. It was like I need to be a pro skateboarder, 
Real quick, born or made, right? The topic of conversation here is to really discuss whether extraordinary people, people who have risen to the top of their industry, are born with an innate ability or an inherent ability to crush it or if they were made over time. When I launched this podcast, I had a very strong opinion about that exact question. I always ask the guests that question. We don't answer it now. We answer it at the end. But the way I like to get there is to walk through your story. You have such an extraordinary story. When you say at 11 years old, and I did the research, you know, you you started skating at 11. And I think about 11 years old. And I think about my sons who are five and three. And I'm dying to get them on a skateboard, uh, you know, like, and I think about that. And I'm like, so Rob started at 11 by 12. He was sponsored. That's not normal. Especially when you, when you look at born or made that leans into the born side, right? Because the truth is, you know, I didn't come from a particularly athletic genetic line, you know, like neither my mother or father did anything active. You know, I uh, picked up a sport that was, uh, frowned upon in growing up in, you know, Kettering, Ohio. Um, you know, I played T-ball, didn't like it, you know, wasn't big enough to play football, loved soccer. Like, uh, as it related to, I now had this freedom to like really excel at soccer, but I couldn't connect with team sports. So when I discovered skateboarding, it was finally this sort of expressive and creative way that allowed me to, to connect that to athleticism. But I got so good instantly so quick that I got recognized by the local skate shop so quick that it built that belief in me instantly that, oh, I'm really, this is something I'm really gifted at. Real quick. So on skateboarding, because I, I skated a lot as a kid, it's very difficult. Skateboarding is, is very, very difficult. And I grew up in New York City in Manhattan, so we all were skateboarding. And there was only like five that were like, holy shit. Like, you know, there's there's a lot of skaters and a lot of people practicing their ollie. Yeah. And then there's like five kids that are just like, whap, 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 and you look over. So I've got a question about skateboarding specifically. Yeah. What was it that clicked for you with skateboarding were, were you able to understand the balance was it something that you were you were just not scared of, of falling like what was it I think it was this combination of the type of athleticism I had uh, the fact that I took like taekwondo and martial arts combined with uh, sort of my upbringing in soccer just led me to have like a more balanced based skill set. So by the time I got on the board, it wasn't foreign to me to sort of manage like what it takes to learn tricks and main understand where your center of gravity is. I think that was probably the innate natural gift that allowed me to get good so quick because I wasn't fighting with like where my body was. I had, I really understood how to, how to, how to ride a skateboard with a balanced body, right? You build confidence as you try and you can achieve, like you said, you know, you're like, oh, can I ollie? Then you you ollie first try when all your friends can't ollie. They're all spinning to the side. They keep, they're in this 180 and you're flying. Then all of a sudden, like you show up to a ramp with your friends and none of them can even like get near it. And you're flying on the top, like out the gate. That is just a innate ability that then gets you excited, gives you energy, makes you try harder, makes you want to learn more. And, you know, for me, it turned into an obsession of like, man, I could be really good at this, you know, but at that age, 
you're the same way my four-year-old wants to be a superhero. You know what I mean? It's like, I, of course I want to be a pro skateboarder, even though I have no idea like what that even means or even if that's possible. I just know it exists and that would be now my new goal in life. Over the last month, we've talked a lot about habits, right? And, and, and what you said there really sort of defined what I think creating wins, little wins throughout your day to influence confidence. Right. And, and so when you said, you know, like you did something, it made you feel good. It started to build that confidence. You did something else that made you feel good, started to build that confidence. It seems to me that that sort of progression for you as a skateboarder is what you've applied to pretty much everything else in your life, which you've done an enormous amount of, I mean, you've got the Durdick machine now, which you're essentially you're, you're inspiring other younger or, or not so, or, or just entrepreneurs in general, elite level entrepreneurs to come join you to build. And so do you think that that was, was sort of the bedrock, the foundation for what you've applied in your life going forward, that ability to do something, win, build confidence and continue? I was actually asked recently about like, how do you see um, skateboarding as, as a foundation of lesson learning for your career in general. Right. And, and I really realized that it is almost identical to what I preach today. This concept of before you start when, right. Because you must have a clear outcome. Right. And the, and the thing with skateboarding is the outcome is learning the trick. Right. So now it's like, okay, you want to learn a backside Smith grind. Well, the first thing you got to be able to do is Ollie, right? Then, then you got to be able to Ollie 50, 50. Then you got to be able to land and backside Smith grind. Then you got to be able to hold it. Then you got to be able to jump out. Almost anything that you would ever want to achieve in life has about five milestones, right? And so in skateboarding, you just naturally do it like, okay, I've got to have these first ones done if I'm ever going to get there. And when you finally get to the backside 50-50, the energy, the self-belief, like, wow, I could actually like do this. Then now you're backside 50-50 and now it's like, let's get into the Smith. Wow, I'm in the Smith. The moment you grind and backside Smith, you're like, like you're, which essentially you're two thirds of the way through those milestones. Now your self-belief is growing and growing and growing and growing to where you finally achieve it. And the beauty of that is it doesn't matter how often you fail on the way there. You're not even concerned with it. You're only measuring your, your slightest of progress towards the end goal. And as long as you have those clear milestones, right? Like you're getting energy and you can be extraordinarily patient and fail over and over as long as you're just slightly progressing because you have clarity of where you've got to get to in order to achieve that. Did you say to yourself like, okay, so this is a trick that I want to get to learn. And I know that we're talking about skateboarding here because this is, this is, this is what you built your platform on. And I think it applies so well because I could relate almost identically for me to fitness because I, I know what fitness did for me early on in my life and how I've used fitness as a, as a disciplinary foundation for everything else I do. But when you were going through this as a kid or as a teenager and you were like, all right, I've got to learn this trick. Did you, did you break it down that way? No. Imagine that as a foundation though, right? Like that's what I ultimately became blessed with, but, but now combine that uh, to sort of a life right? I said at 11, I'm going to be a pro skateboarder. First thing you got to do is get sponsored by the skate shop. 
then you got to get sponsored by uh, an actual company. Then you've got to get good enough where that company uh, decides to turn you pro, right? So it's the same sort of uh, milestones and got sponsored by the skate shop. What's it do to me? like, man, this is really real. This is really real. I'm really good. Right. Then, then eight months later, under a year, you're now factory sponsored. You can't tell the 12 year old me that there was any chance after eight months that I'm now on GNS skateboards, that I am not going to be a pro skateboarder. Whenever I have a guest that has this sort of early, early stage success or early stage entrepreneurial mindset, right? Just like, I'm going to go and I'm not going to stop. I try to find out, I try to ask, like, if you could close your eyes and just go back and, and really try to articulate what that motivation was. Most of the time, from my experience on this show specifically, it's not like a parental thing. Most of the time, it's, it is in my blood to to just get after it and go. I mean, do you have that? Do you relate to that? Is it? Yeah. You know, because I always like the actual other side of it is like, what drove you? What was the moment? Like, what is the thing you were fighting? Who were you proving wrong? Like, what did you need to do? That's actually where a lot of people get that a drive. Was it your circumstance? Was it your, your upbringing, your, your single father, single mother? There's all these things that, that uh, light the fire in different people, right? Like for me, I always looked at it as, as you know, I refer to it, you know, now as passionately compelled, meaning like you didn't know anything other than chasing what you were super passionate about. Right. And the drive was like never to prove anything wrong. It was to fulfill the question of like, could you do it? And then as you're doing it and getting closer, it's like the energy that came from it was always part of the drive. And then the, the difference was I started now applying that to so many different things, right? Then I became addicted essentially to, can I create something in my mind and figure out a way to do it and go do it, right? And that is literally why I say, see it, believe it, do it, is you got to be able to start to crystallize the future. And the only way you will ever believe it's possible is if you can see the clear path to get there. If you can see a plan that you, that that's where belief starts. It's like, man, I could do that. Cause the super simple thing, especially, you know, when it comes to fitness or anything else, like something, you know, you can do like the, 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 the super easy start, you know, you can do, you always do that one. Right. But if you could map it all the way out and then learn that sort of the strategy, that's where the, the confidence comes in. And that's where you begin to ultimately, um, use drive and energy to do more and more it's also one of those things that I just had to manage because at one point in my life, it was one of those things that, you know, if you have the ability to do anything and you do everything, you kind of end up standing for nothing. Right. And, and I think I ended up in that zone and, and, and in the middle of like the height of like, you know, multiple television shows and cartoons and pro skateboarding leagues and still a pro and all this. It's like, I, despite this insane universe I created, it still felt like, what do I really stand for here? Right. You just did a bunch of stuff. Right. And that, that is where I really began to, to try to harness this gift that I ultimately developed at a young age. Is the manifestation of that, the Durdick machine now? A hundred percent. But I really, I really applied it to life. I decided like, you know, 
I'm not going to, you know, I, I got this book, start at the end. It was a business book and, and it was this whole idea. If you're going to create a business, start at the end, start at the end. Right. And, and the concept is, you know, doesn't matter what it is, make an outcome for why you're doing that business from the very beginning and build a plan backwards. But what I realized is, man, I should apply that to my whole life. I should just start right now and design the entire life that I actually want and then begin to build the plan on how I go and achieve that life. And part of that self-discovery was really what do you actually, of all this stuff, what do you actually like to do? What actually gives you the most energy and what do you want to do for the rest of your life, right? And that that sort of journey and self-discovery led to creating a start at the end uh, before you start when life plan. How old were you when you, when you, this, this became sort of a revelation for you? 38 years old. So you had done all this stuff and then you got to a point where you were basically like, I've done all this stuff. It's been incredible. An amazing learning experience yet. I don't actually know what I'm standing for right now, but, but I'm not actually happy. Were you unhappy? And I wouldn't say unhappy to the point of like where I'm like sad and mopey. I just kept like using all my excitement and energy and slamming right into walls. Like I, I, it's almost like if you're going so many different directions, you're spun tight. You're putting so much energy in all these different places that aren't unified towards a unified goal that left me just tight and unfulfilled, right? Because I just keep putting so much energy into things that lead to dead ends and or not the right energy into the things that could lead me to the life that I actually wanted. But I didn't define what that was. And it wasn't until I defined like, how do I actually want to live? Like, and who do I actually want to be? And what do I actually want to do? And how do all three of those integrate did I create a life plan that included what I actually love to do the most is the ideation and the creation of building businesses, right? And that's really when I began to build the system, transition to develop what it is today. You said something before about um, see, believe, do. I also have a, a, a mantra or, or something that, you know, I share with, with, with people that I work with or friends or you know, social media, you know, I know that what we feel may not be real. What we believe may not be real. What we do definitely is real. So action in anything is the only first step. The question that I get asked most is how? How do you balance your life? How do you start what step can you take to launch a business? And, you know, I, when, I, when I think about it, like there are so few steppers and action takers in comparison to talkers, right? Like when you think about it, like, you know, growing up, you'd see two kids fight, right? And they're all in each other's face. No one ever throws a punch, but they're just like talking. And it just never turns into a fight. It's like a screaming match. Everybody knows the kid that's going to punch you in the mouth. Everybody's like, oh, he does. He doesn't talk. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> that dude, yeah. that dude just is that, like no talking. He's just going to yeah. hit you. So like, if you're going to try to fight with that guy, he's just going to punch you in the mouth and yeah. it's, it's a game on. He doesn't fight anyone he knows. <laughs> yeah. He catches unsuspecting people in the streets who think this guy's just a talker like I am. And then he clips them. But like when I think about the outstanding people, it's the ones that are going to punch you in the mouth. 
that are just not going to, they're, they're, they're going to make, they're going to make waves. And it's a weird analogy, but I think it's so clear because most people talk and don't, don't end up fighting. But, but let me, let me see, let me, let me add another layer to that because I used to think the action mattered the most. Right. And to me, um, that's why I just go, go, did so much stuff. And it was, I kept feel like starting over and doing it again. And because I was so execute and action oriented, here's an idea, let's go. It wasn't till I stopped now. And, And here's the difference. It's like, like you're fully skilled expert fighter negotiator where you're so like leveled like even when the fight comes you are prepared to destroy this person but you have the skill set to talk them down reason negotiate with them it's that second layer of what I feel like I evolved into till I became a real like strategist and planner and, and understanding how this single outcome applies to the whole outcome. When I began to look at life holistically, multidimensionally and stop looking at like, Oh, I do work. I do skate stuff. I do business stuff, party with my friends. I have girlfriends, right? Like when I, when I looked at everything separately and had goals separately, it wasn't until I decided to tie them all together as a a multi-dimensional set of goals that were interconnected did my life change right and what was that feeling like did you have somebody help walk you through that or was that something that you just literally said at a certain point you read that book and you were like I'm gonna I'm going to start parsing out my life and actually looking at these things and figuring out a way to tie them all together it was a series of different events. Like, you know, I had kind of got roped into a 360 deal where a private equity group was going to invest in everything that I did and own half of me for life. Only when they did the due diligence on how I ran my business finances and all my assets, it was like, you're uninvestable, right? It was extraordinarily embarrassing. But what I realized at that point, you know, despite all that I had created, I wasn't clear what I was really trying to do. I didn't have any long-term goals. I wasn't building any value. And all of that combined with finding that book and having this desire to learn business because I was a business guy that did not understand all aspects of business. All of that together led to this like epiphany of like, man, what life do you want, right? And, And what it ends up becoming is you're attempting to master life, Right. You're you're mastering yourself, your time, your energy, your passions, like your the lifestyle you want to live, your finances, your work, like your relationships. It's like not one of those sort of core components do not complement each other in order to live a happy, fulfilling life. And that's really that epiphany came from a series of events. But the moment that became my focus, then I just get better and better at life. And it's just led to this extraordinary, extraordinary level of happiness, right? That's almost, you know, I don't practice gratitude. I'm overwhelmed by it. You're just constantly overwhelmed with gratefulness. It's not something you practice. I assume that you figured out what that life dream, that life goal is, like how you want to live, like what that structure looks like. And then I also want to follow that up so I don't forget, um, because you said happiness I think happiness and success do play in the same sandbox, um, but I don't think that they're they're mutually exclusive. I do think they are one and the same. 
but happiness is a successful life. And you need to ultimately determine what that is and go achieve it in order to find the happiness, right? Like if, you know, and, and when I think about, you know, it's, it's who you are, right? It's this extraordinarily interesting aspect of these three core elements, right? Because it's physically who you are, right? What you eat, how you take care of yourself will determine like how you feel, the energy you have and how you actually feel about yourself, right? So now here's sort of the, that component of the physical you, right? So now the mental you is ultimately your self-worth, your confidence, like all these things that you have to build over time, which most people grow into them and they grow into them by you know, mastering an aspect of life that ultimately gives them that self-worth and confidence along the way. Most times that's found in what you do, um, whether that's your, your work or, you know, sort of what you do to earn money, right? Like if you can connect ultimately your passion to what you can do to earn money and create the self-worth and who you are, and now becomes this much more powerful thing. Now, the third component is how you live. So if you can connect who you are, your energy, your time into something you love to do and then make the money that provides you to live the lifestyle you want to live. And by lifestyle, it's where do you want to live? How do you want to spend your time? Like, is it with your family, with your friends? Like your version of what energy in life is, is your lifestyle, right? And if, if there's synergy between who you are, what you do and how you live connected and you make 50 grand a year, you're successful and happy. And I think that's for me, one of the things that became really clear is like understanding how all of that worked. Like I just thought I would work harder and harder and harder. And then I would just have one big payday one day and then the whole world would be right. Then I'd have time to like work on myself and get, stay in shape all the time. Then I would eat right. Like then I would have the house and the life that I wanted and spend time with my family and friends. Like that is what I used to look at it as until then part of that design when it comes to the lifestyle is what do you want to do with your time? Outside of creating what, we, what, you know, we've already learned that that is your sort of calling in business and probably in life in general, I would imagine. How do you want to spend your time now that you've gone through all this? To me, it's, it's, I'm just, I'm an energy chaser. Most recently and how passionate I am about using qualitative data, how you feel about something to get quantitative data on where you can make change I track every hour of the day, right? And I'm my next stage of this development is looking at every one of those hours and then tracking how much energy I had in that hour so that I can, because to me, like the ultimate is, is literally just going from thing to thing to thing that gives you energy and takes no energy. That would be my ultimate goal, right? And you know it, you could be dead tired and get four hours of sleep and have the craziest week and pop right into something that just energizes you, right? And it's like, it's not diet. It's, it's, it's not like how you feel about yourself. It is, it is this un, uh, sort of seen force that I'm trying to harness to where like I only spend every waking moment of my life in that energy. That, that's, that really is the goal with sort of my entire vision and system that I've implemented for my own personal habit development and discipline, you know. That program that you sent me, that intense, very structured, you know, I wrote it all down here actually because I, 
and I, and we're going to hop around a little bit, but I thought it was really interesting how you broke out your, your, your categories. So you've got 5am brain train, meditate, workout, life, work, health, motivation, sleep, drinks, and diet. And you track that every single day. But for clarity purposes, right? There's a qualitative and a quantitative like data in that, right? So the the top is qualitative. Every day I wake up, I I rate zero to 10. How do I feel about my life, right? So again, uh, the life and the way that I'm living my life and uh, health, right? My mental health, my well-being, every, every last aspect, and then work. You know, I've been doing it for five years, but it became this simple, right? If it was a five- Take it or leave it. Not not overly excited, not sad. A four, it was half empty. Four and below, it was like, should have never, I should have never even got on TV. You know what I'm saying? You could go, when, when you're half empty, you literally could like, like, why did I even buy this house? You could pick apart almost anything in your existence if you ever get half empty versus a six and half full. Let's ride. Oh, that was crazy. Okay, whatever. You're hopeful. You're, it's driving. The, there's these factors that keep you there. But I realized it became this really simple feeling. And I began to look at it from all of those. Then I began to like, I wanted to understand my motivation. So I started tracking each morning when I wake up how motivated I am. And what does motivation feel like? Today, I am so optimized. It's the highest level of optimization for the longest period of sustained uh, high performance I've ever, ever done so far in my life. And, you know, your body wakes you up when it's had enough sleep. Sleep is not something that you need to worry about. Your body manages it for you. I'll, I'll go to sleep at 930. I pop awake at 345, like bang, think of all the things I want to get going, like, and just immediately straight into just, just getting to, oh yeah, like just in it, right? That's a very high level of motivation. So I would track that at like eight, nine. Some people perceive that process of like waking up and then boom, thinking about what, what they've got to do as insane anxiety. You know, some people really process it that way. I don't know what distinguishes the difference between insane anxiety, waking up with that sort of mindset or the opposite, which is like, I cannot wait to tackle this. What I do, which is an interesting thing. I don't know if I've ever told you this, but for a while it was anxiety And it was probably because I was doing things that I wasn't really stoked about. But what I've started doing a a, a little while ago was I tackle the anxiety immediately. So if I feel, if I wake up and I'm like, oh damn, like my first thing every single morning is I flip up my, my sleep, my, my eye patch (laughs) and I smile from ear to ear and I count to 15 and I smile like the biggest shit eating grin you could possibly ever imagine. And I do it not only because I'm trying to release serotonin into my bloodstream because I know that that's real. Um, but I try to get myself to laugh at myself first thing in the morning. Cause, cause if I can laugh at myself first thing in the morning, that anxiety melts like fucking butter on a hot pan. And so that's something I do. I, I, and what, when I hear coming from you, you're like, boom, I open my eyes at 345 and it's just like, and you are fired up. How would you suggest somebody transitioning from that being anxiety provoking to excitement? Uh, I'll go back to the system, right? 
uh, number one, I love, I love that idea of, of smiling ear to ear and just letting your body feel it. Um, I do some weird like hand thing I learned from this hypnotist. And then I say everything I'm grateful right when I wake up. You have to understand that I live in this highly intentional, ultra clear world, right? I've spent years optimizing uh, all everything around me. So anxiety doesn't exist in my life, right? There, there's everything is done with such clear intention and with such clarity. Um, and then you you do that for a sustained amount of time. You you will erase anxiety altogether because anxiety are all the unknowns, all the X, the things that are out of your control and that lack of clarity creates anxiety, right? The unknown drives it depending on, on what the, the source of it is. But I have found like in the past, that would be a traditional driver of it. And what this process of just asking yourself how you feel about those three aspects of life each day, over time, the same things keep popping up on why you feel bad about your life or your health or your work, right? And then when you start to clear those out, I did it for five years before I would almost consider I got to the point of clear. I, I haven't been, I maybe will dip if I, you know, I got, you know, went on like a bad eating run or something and then you know got in a fight with my wife maybe like I could like get into a world where I was below but it's extraordinarily rare for you to be a five below yeah super super rare for me to ever get down then I really mark it right because now it's just a few times a year that that would ever happen where it used to happen when I started doing it in 2015 all the time all the time but what it was providing for me back then was Here's the clear reason, like, oh my gosh, it's the same person again. Your life's so complex, you it's hard for you to think like, why am I feeling down? Because it's just like you got hit with a word, this thing, that thing, this thing. And then when, but when you realize, like when you reflect on it, it's a, it's, it's this self-awareness process that allowed me to cont- look at all the people. One of, one of the biggest things for me that, that gave me uncertainty that drove that, that feeling of uneasy is I didn't understand my money. I didn't understand my money. I didn't understand money at all. Right. And it's like, I just had all my money with like three or four different advisors, like had no idea what it was invested in, like didn't know how it was working. Like, like I just, I, I didn't, I just made all this money, spent all this money. It'd be like, I just kind of eyeball, I guess I got this saved it. Like in, when it started popping up, how much that was like driving, um, sort of that, that, unhappiness and that feeling of lost almost like what I would wake up feeling. Then I just attacked that. Right. And then I learned every single thing on almost an insane level of where I, you know, now one of the, where I used to hate sitting in a financial meeting. Now one of my greatest joys of life is going through financials when somebody pitches a business concept. I just love going to see like how it all lies together. Like one of I love, look, I have these intricate, extraordinary financial models. I'm in these groups with these high level investors and all these things that it's like, I, now I just love all aspects of it because it used to drive my anxiety and drive my energy down. And then I learned it and now it's a energy force, right? And What I realized is nobody has your interest or looks into the thing that your interest as deep as you will. 
right? Especially on the financial side. Like there's really smart people that can help uh, guide you and and make you okay, but only you can make you great, right? Like, especially as a, and you got to learn it in order to do that. And so what did you do? You just just read books and- The biggest thing I actually got is I got a CFO consultant and she just helped. We would just started going through every, like we would build financial models together. We would just go through everything. Eventually she built, uh, you know, my life operating model. And I have this extraordinary like finance now. Look, it's the most amazing thing now because it is, it takes the Deerdeck machine, uh, Rob Deerdeck- and they combine into two because it's essentially like one. I'm basically a family office, so they combine both of the balance sheets and P and Ls combine into a single one. That then is the super detailed way of where and how I spend all of my money, and then all of that kicks off of that into now all of my assets and their value, and all of my cash producing assets. And uh, my net worth year over year over year over year, this extraordinary dashboard of like, hey, this is you as a whole and what you've grown and what you have, what you've made every year, what you spent every year, what you're invested in every year, what it grew every year, what you're worth. Extraordinary. Right. And I look at it probably two or three times a week. Right. And it's like I look at every single detail. And what does that also do? I approve every check that goes through me personally and the Deer Deck machine, right? There is not one aspect of my money in my existence that I do not fully understand 1000%. Every decision I make is from clarity and intention when it comes to anything money. Erased all anxiety about my money and my finances and everything forever. Where five years ago, I, I would just like, I don't like, what am I doing? How much do I owe in taxes? Like, like, did I even pay taxes? Is this like, is this guy even good? What's my, am I earning money on my money? I don't even know. Like, what am I? Okay, let me just make more money. You want to know what? I'll just make more money. That'll take care of any of this unknown and the way this is making me feel. I'll make more money. See, you know, it's, 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 controversial in what maybe controversial is a little aggressive. It, it defies what I was taught potentially, because what I know is this, if I'm really good at something and I've sort of uncovered what that really good is, and it's a very, it's a, it's a, it's a non-quantifiable skill set that I have, that you have. It's hard to say, you know, there's, it's, it's an emotional thing, right? Where like you have been able to make people believe in you. You've made money, you've lost money, but the, 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 the super human power that you have is that people believe you. They believe you like it's real, right? You've put all this shit on the, on the map and it's all because you've been able to convince lots and lots of people to believe you, whether it's TV, skateboarding, and it's obviously proven, right? Like you've proven yourself, but ultimately people believe you. And I think that's, what's been a power of mine where I am able to sit across the table from somebody, any setting, put me at skid row put me in the white house. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to be able to chameleon myself to not only connect, but like make you believe that you're right where you're supposed to be with me. It's a superpower. I have it. It becomes even bigger 
if you use that with clarity on where you're actually now directing that, because look, the belief can only get you so far. Like if the, what actually the output of what you put together does not perform to support the belief that you got. So my whole life was like, how do I get better and better and better at being able to deliver and get more clarity on what I expect to get out of it? So when I use being able to put those people in the right room, have those right opportunities and get them to believe in this vision and this opportunity that I have a better understanding of how to get to the output where everybody wins, right? I think that's the evolution that I went through in my 40s, if you will, right? Late thirties. And then now I've applied it full scale, uh, for these first six years in my forties, like that is sort of the difference because I, I'm, I spent a lot of time using that ability and building extraordinary visions that like went in and sold them and people were about it. Let's do it. And they didn't do very well. Right. And, and I would struggle with like, I believed in it. I swore it was the right plan. And I realized that I was never looking at it through the most important lens in business and people that invest in businesses. And that is the return, right? At the end of the day, you're investing in this idea, not because I'm so passionate and have an extraordinary uh, vision. You're looking at, does that turn into a a certain return on my capital, right? Can I get 10X on my money? Can I get a 37% IRR and beat the market and a private equity fund if I uh, put this money with this young man in his skateboarding league or his mind dry bar, you know, whatever it may be. I think when I transitioned to that, tying them together, did things really change? So I listened to uh, Kanye West was on... um I don't know if it was Rogan or one of those shows. I don't remember exactly, but I think it was Rogan. Anyway, he talks about this exact thing. He said exactly this. He said, I've got all these things going on and I found out that my CFO had stolen some cash. And he's like, and I made a decision. And he goes, everybody was scared about that decision. I am the CFO now. <laughs> and I was oh, like, shit, man. I'm like, I'm like, where are we going? Where are we going? I'm like, okay. Then, yeah. No wonder he's, uh, you he, know, he is the CFO of, wow. of his, of his, of his stuff now. Yeah. And I mean, at least he was, you know, a yeah. few months ago, who knows where it's at now, but, but that's not it. You know what I mean? The same way that like, that you're talking about a guy that, you know, um, made, you know, $150 million in royalty and was like 80 million in debt. You know what I mean? Like it, it's the, it's not a matter of becoming a CFO, but, but it, it's one thing that I, I will instill in my children. I'm teaching my kids about money today, right? At four years old, you know, like I know that I didn't understand money and you just have to understand it to be able to give oversight to it. You don't need to become an expert in it, but you want to, get better and better and better. And you want to never stop learning it, right? Like I think that's like, and eventually you're going to have a deep understanding of it. What I, how I look at businesses and look at a financial model and how I assess like investments and how I talk to people like super sophisticated, really smart business people that are presenting ideas. And I can pick 
I can tell instantly that this is not their mastery, that they are, they followed some person else's path and they're riding a market wave and they're presenting an opportunity based off of seeing, having experience with another group that mastered it, that they're kind of following and doing, I can, and that's a level of clarity now when it, when it's like looking at these big real estate investments and these, these really like complex, uh, industries that I have gotten a deep amount of knowledge in that you're now using your intuition and second, you know, very easy knowledge to assess opportunity. That's from growth, right? I couldn't have did that seven years ago. That's from just deciding I'm going to just get better and better and better at this aspect of my life. And, and again, I go back to, especially in business, you want to understand the, the core capabilities of business and, and continually grow basic knowledge in it so that you can even hire the right people to cover all the things that you don't want to do. I think that's the, because the, the problem is, is you know you don't like something and you're a business owner and you it, somebody sells you in a room, gets you to believe, and you're like, this is my guy right here. Like, we're, we're on it right here. And then, it, it, you know, three months in, you realize he doesn't know what he's doing. It takes three months of arguing and fighting uh, to realize this is going to come to an end and then three months for it to end. It's called the cycle of death in business, right? Like it is you're sold in the room uh, because you think it's perfect. And it's this, this every three months to the end. You know, I think, I think one great thing in hearing this from you um, is that I believe you were born hands down. I really do. And I'm sure you probably think you were born as well. I mean, I, I, I'm projecting onto you, but I do believe that you think that there was some level of natural talent involved in what you have. However, the beauty of what you're saying to me now, which I think is so awesome for the, for the listener is that you continue to learn, i.e. made. You continue at 38, you, d- you made a decision where you were like, I am going to progressively get better, intentionally progressively get better at this. I'm not going to say, man, if I don't fucking win at this, I suck. You're going to say every day, every week, every month, every year, I just want to chip. I want to chip. And it's similar to own opening a business. I'm going through it right now. I'm launching another business. And like, I know launching a business is a hard thing to do, man. It's hard. Like it is extraordinarily hard. Every day is a battle, right? Like you got, and, but what I know is, is that, and I want to get into our habits and routines after this, because I think that's really plays into what gives me the motivation to fail on a daily basis in business and still be stoked. But every day you just try to get a tiny chip when you're trying to open a business or when you're trying to run a business or when you're trying to do something extraordinary, insanely, you know, I had, I had this, 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 this guy named Will Ahmed, who, who, who's a founder of a, of this company called whoop on the podcast not long ago. And I asked him what success meant to him. And he said, well, are you asking me as an entrepreneur or as a person? And I was like, wow. So like he broke it down like, like military civilian, you know what I'm saying? Like, cause that is, I think there's a, the dichotomy there is real, right? Like, it's like when you're an entrepreneur, you're, it's like, you have to be comfortable with all bets are off. 
at times, right? And so he said, the if you're asking me as an entrepreneur, the definition of success is the ability to overcome an extraordinary amount of stress more than most people. And I was like, it's not like overcome stress. He, you know, it's the ability to, to be able to overcome an extraordinary amount of stress more than most people. And I think that's true, right? Like that is the successful side of an entrepreneur, the successful set of entrepreneurs all are able to take it a day at a time, not think about the whole year because that's a stressful thing. Like if you can, if you could take the amount of stress or the amount of like trudging that goes into launching a business in a day. <laughs> man, you are just, you're in it right now. You're in the pain of this launch because you are just, man, in the pain, because it's difficult. It's very hard. But like what I'm saying is, is that if you, if you took that, you know, that intensity of what it, it, it is in a day times a year, that's enough energy to like, you know, lop off, you know, Santa Monica. That's, that's, you know, 10 or 12, 12 years of your life. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot. Let me give you two perspectives, right? Number one, I have yet to have any of the companies that I've started not go out of business. Some are struggling, but none have gone out of business. And this is since my 2000, uh, summer of 2016, I launched the machine, right? Uh, we've done 15 companies since then. Sold five, um, you know, launched two this year or really in the last few months. But when I started in 2015 and 14, when I was developing it, I want to define what that it means to have that, right? So that's why it was like, okay, I only want to build with doer dyers, right? Doer dyers are, they have the fortitude, the grit, the determination and ambition along with a relentless work ethic and an unwavering self-belief to turn their visions into reality. Right. So I was like so obsessed with defining when I would do diligence on individuals and understand, I just wanted to know, are you built like this? Cause this takes a special type of person to persevere through this chaos to actually get there. And I did that with everyone. That is why I uh, have not taken an L yet. Right. And even really bizarre ones, like where, where one, instead of going out of business, like he was so gnarly, he took the tech. I now sit on the board of motorsports gaming, which is a public company that just went public in January because the CEO and founder of Ultracast, my live VR platform that I built with him, he transitioned the IP and into this gaming thing and then took the company public, right? Like totally different than what we did. But, and now, you know, because I'm riding out with like, you know, my do or die founder homie, I'm now on a public board, you know, which is a, a lot, lot more work than you could imagine, but it's still extraordinary, even in what would potentially, because that business didn't work, but it still was able to transition to this different opportunity. But I only say that now I look at it differently, right? Because I look at like, nope, that will is not enough, right? And because through that discovery, I, I realized the reason that will was needed so much was because they were also learning so much at the time. And it's, it wasn't till I started evaluating people's founder market fit. How well do they understand the industry that they're going into? Because a lot of the guys that I built companies with early on were in industries for the first time. 
right? So I really began to understand that. Then I used to think like, hey, you're a business mind. You're, you're, you're like a brand mind. If you're a brand mind, get a business guy. But what I realized is like my hero CEOs had general knowledge in brand, product, media, uh, marketing, sales, operations, and finance, right? So now they multidimensionally understood business and they had experience in an industry. All that like hardcore extra work and chaos was alleviated based off of their experience and mastery of business that had already been developed, right? The process of these new builds that I've done through that lens has been this much more peaceful, exciting, like the buildup has been super methodic, a ton of testing leading through this. And then our launches have been smooth and growing because versus like the ones from my 2016 vintage, they all launched to no sales, almost all of them, because they didn't have the skill set of the, the core capabilities. I hadn't fully developed the skill set of how to how to see it through the entire process all the way to audience development all the way to distribution like all the way to launch like there was still all despite doing so many companies before that and creating my master plan I still had to go through doing all of these companies to continually learn what I didn't know right and that so now when I assess and build with somebody we're, we're talking about the opportunity so much more fluidly. So by the time we launch, it's already off and running. We're hitting plan. We're running and gunning way more fun. And yes, it's chaos. It's, it's, it's amazing, exciting. We call it structured chaos. Cause you, at least you, you can, you're looking out forward of like, Hey, we got to get to here. Like, here's what potentially could happen. You're seeing where the chaos out in front of you, instead of being reactive to everything would be where I have evolved to. I sort of, when, when I, when I try to explain it to people that really don't understand what that, that, that structured chaos is, I sort of say, if you don't know the game of football and you watch a football game, you're like, there's a bunch of dudes just running around the field. However, if you knew that when that quarterback receives that ball and everybody goes, that quarterback knows exactly where every single person on that line to the right and to the left of him are going to land in about two seconds. He doesn't even think. It's just like, boom, ball, I'm throwing it right there. I've done it a hundred times, right? A thousand times. And so I think that that organized chaos, that structured chaos is, is ultimately what business life is, you know, but one question I would ask you that I think is an interesting one. So in the restaurant business, you know, (laughs) you, the, the, the food is obviously very important. The beverage is obviously very important. But what I've learned as a guy who's opened up 16 restaurants and only has closed one now since in the pandemic, um, service trumps everything. It just trumps everything. Because if somebody comes to the restaurant and the food is amazing, but the place is crappy and the service sucks, they're not going back. Somebody comes to a restaurant and the place is amazing, and the food is amazing, but they get treated like shit at the table, they're not coming back. However, somebody comes to a restaurant and gets greeted at the door with a smile. The food is 
pretty damn good. Before they leave, the manager and the, and the server know their name and say, thank you, Jonathan, for, for hanging out with us. This was awesome. Maybe give you a high five. You're going back to that restaurant, period, right? And so when you look at businesses, is there a specific thread, a common thread amongst the jockey, the entrepreneur, or is it more of a, this has to be a combination of idea, entrepreneur, financials, or is there something that just tends to stand out for you? That is the epitome of founder market fit. Right. And it's simplicity on the far side of complexity, right? Where it's like service at the core. Let's start with just no, not no, like you don't have to, you still got to design an extraordinary restaurant, menu, food, all the experiences is a huge aspect of it. All these different things, but your experience is, is something that most people that are going to start a restaurant are probably not even, it's not even in their top five, right? We're like, Hey, we got to make sure service is done. Right. Right. Okay. But like, not like, like that level of depth, the same way that when I look at, at CPG products, right? Like a cons- something you're going to eat or drink, it's taste. Like, I don't care what the functional benefit of it is. I don't care what the, the vision for the brand is. Like if it's not absolutely, de- if you don't love to eat it, like if I don't taste it for the first time, be like, man, this is amazing. I don't want to do it. And to me, it really is a combination of a bunch of things. It's not so binary. It's not, so, I can't look at that person, even if they're an amazing, like do or dire with the spirit and then not like, you know, if, if I don't feel like they understand all that or can tell it back to me, it's harder for me to believe in their ability to execute the idea unless they have some sort of nuanced way of thinking about it. And if you don't look through all the way through to all of this experience, taste, whatever it is, translates to the financial side and informs the potential return and that being the focus, then I really don't want to do it, right? Like I'll never do a a, a business with somebody that just like is a product person that just wants to make an amazing product, right? And I don't mind. I have some businesses that do a few million dollars and that are profitable and we split a dividend, right? Have other businesses that aren't profitable that we're just raising capital and growing to an acquisition, but it's one or the other. And look, into the football analogy, it's why I say we systematically fuse art, science, and magic, right? Because it's this creative process. There's sort of proven systems and principles of business you got to apply, but then, man, it's this intangible, right? And look at it from the football standpoint. When the quarterback goes back, he does a check down. He's got a play, but he has four or five backup plays that he's looking through and maybe he spins out. Now the offensive line breaks down and now a body gets through. He's got to be creative. Then he swings around and one of the players gets creative. Now they're perfectly open. Perfect pass that he just grabs it too late, goes through his hands out over his shoulder, right into a waiting defensive back that runs it all the way down for a touchdown. That's the magic side, the intangible, unexpected, unexplainable side that can change everything, right? And that to me is ultimately, how do you have the foundational proven principles? How do you keep shaping and creating it and putting yourself in a position to get lucky? Because you have to for the business to actually work. All right, guys, that was part one of the Foreigner Made podcast with Rob Durdeck. Holy smokes. Um, that was 
awesome. Uh, I'm really excited for you guys to tune in next week. Do us a favor. Share this podcast. Write us a review. Give us a five-star rating. This podcast does not exist without you participating. So please, reviews and great five-star ratings. That gets us an opportunity to climb the ladder and put the podcast in front of more and more people. Thank you. Love you. Next week will be Rob's part two uh, on Born and Made. Peace. Have a great night. Love you guys. Love you.